If you will, take your Bibles this morning. <clears throat> we'll be reading uh, the scriptures, First uh, Timothy, chapter 3, 14, 15, 16. And it reads, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing that these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, we believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence. And I encourage you to come and be with us again this evening, at 6 o'clock, where we'll be worshiping and studying God's Word once again. And as I consider these particular matters with you today, I suspect that we will be studying about God's household again tonight. And there's just so much that's available to us for our discussion and study that we'll do the very best that we possibly can with it in the time that we have allotted. But I suspect that we're going to be looking at it again this evening, and I encourage you to be back with us on that occasion. As you come into the foyer today, you'll see copies of our bulletin. Please take a copy. I wrote a little bit about our form on the front page, and I'd like to say once again, you'll see some photographs on the inside, how much I appreciate this congregation. And I think one of the things that really stands out in my mind with regard to the Church of Broadway is how well this congregation works together. If you saw and were with us during the forum, and if you could have seen the getting ready of the forum and even after the forum, the packing up and the taking away, I think you'd be impressed with the wonderful way this congregation works together. And it's a wonderful blessing that we have to be a part of a congregation that loves each other as we do, unified as we are, and devoted to the one true God of heaven and earth and his resurrected Christ. And we're very grateful that we have opportunities such as this to have forums so that we can study the greatest book in all the world, and that's our Bible. We had a wonderful forum. I say that every year. I know that, but I really believe that the one that we had uh, this past week uh, was one of the best, if not the best, we've ever had. The men and the uh, visitors that we invited really work well together and take a very serious effort at studying the Word of God, and so I'm very appreciative and I'm thankful for it. But we all know who deserves the credit for this, and that is the one for whom we live and serve. May we so direct our lives that men may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. May he receive the praise and the glory for everything that we do. Now I want to think about the church, and I'm thinking about the church here, and I'm thinking about the church of the Bible, and I'm thinking about churches everywhere when I read 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. And it brings to our minds 
something of uh, the greatness of the New Testament church and what a wonderful thing it is to be a part of it. And I thought if I could just come to understand more about these particular words and these descriptions that were given, then surely I will come to see what a great blessing it is to be a part of the church of God. And as I do in typical fashion, I want to tell you what we're going to do today. And then I'm going to tell you, and then when I finish telling you, I'm going to remind you. And that'll be our lesson for today. What I want to learn about today is the context of 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll spend just a few moments with that. And then as I look at that context, I'm going to look at three particular phrases. And I'll put most of my weight on those three points right there, and that's the three descriptive terms that he uses in this paragraph. The three terms that he uses is, one, the household of God. And I want to talk about that this morning. And then tonight, the church of the living God, and then the phrase, pillar and ground of the truth. And you find all of these in our text today, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 on down through 15 and 16. And that wonderful uh, phrase and paragraph, uh, verse 16, that was read for us. And thank you very much for reading that. It's a wonderful statement about Jesus that we've had in our, our scripture reading this morning. So first, let's talk about the context. Let's, let me spend a few moments with that. When you come to the book of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is coming to Ephesus, and he's left Timothy in Ephesus, a young preacher. And you have 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he emphasizes the importance of faithful, sound doctrine and teaching. And you're going to read that in the first chapter, how important that is to have a sure foundation and solid footing underneath you when you're thinking about God and your relationship with God. Then in chapter 2, he talks about prayer. And he really discusses for us the significance of prayer and the importance of prayer and devotion that we should have. And by chapter 3, he talks about spiritual leadership. And the first group that he references for us are the elders of the church. And you have a classic passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3, about qualification of elders. Now, this is not all that the Bible says about elders, but it certainly is an important section about elders, and it talks about the important qualifications that they should meet. And so he's talking about the church being led spiritually. And then when he finishes with a discussion about the elders, he starts talking about the deacons, specially chosen men who meet certain qualifications, which he tells him of in this third chapter. And when you have qualified elders and when you have qualified deacons, you have a wonderful work indeed with regard to the people of God and the church of the living God. And he comes down to the end of this particular section, and he moves from the leadership of the church to the church being led. And that's our verse today, 1 Timothy 3, about verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. Now, what he's saying there is, it may be that I am hindered from coming. I hope that I can. I want to be there just as soon as I possibly can. And um, uh, with that, I see the significance of this, of this very important matter. And I'm going to try to, make my, try to make it there just as soon as I possibly can. But I may tarry. And if I tarry, I'm trying to let you know what it would be like uh, to live life in the household of God. And 
I guess I'm spending just an extra moment on that particular point because he makes the statement again in chapter 4. And I really think it's part of the providence of God that, that he did that for us in that regard because he's saying, I may have to wait for a while and, and there in turn before I can actually come and be with you, verse 13, until I come, chapter 4 and 13, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And I think maybe providentially God was holding him back. Because due to the possibility of him not coming as soon as he'd like to have come, I now have this passage of Scripture. And now I can read about living life in the church and how to behave myself in the household of God. Maybe if Paul had been able to go directly to Ephesus and there meet with Timothy and help Timothy, I would have never had this divine instruction. But providentially, maybe, God is saying, I'm going to hold you back, and I'm going to let you write by inspiration, and I'm going to let you tell future generations how they are to act and to behave in the household of God, and how that they are to live as far as children of God are concerned. And quite frankly, I'm glad he was held back, because now I get to read and I get to benefit from inspired teaching about living life in the church. And Paul says, Timothy, if I don't get there, this is what you do. And you think about it this way. And you do it that way. And I don't want to be selfish in the matter. I wouldn't want Paul's work to be hindered in any fashion or any way. But now I get to know about life in the church and how I really ought to think about it. That's the context. When you look at the context and you learn more about this context, you begin to realize what a wonderful thing it is to be in the household of God, to be in the church of the living God and the pillar and the ground of the truth. I want to tell you this one thing. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be part of the household of God. I'm not interested in any kind of man-made denomination. I'm not interested in being a part of any kind of social group, social club, as good of works as they may do in the community and the time, but I'll tell you what I'm interested in. I really am focused on and interested in being in what he reads about right here. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is what I want to know. I want to know more about it. I've always been interested in it. I've always been interested in the church you read about in the New Testament. In order for me to understand it better, I've had to understand how people drift away from the divine pattern which God has given in the pages of the New Testament. And I've had to learn that, and I've had to study that, and I've often thought that if I knew that position, that would help me get them back to this position, to be like this church, the household of God. So I invite you this morning, let's study about the household. The word household is used in different, word, different ways in the pages of the Bible. 
The first description that I have with regard to the people of God is that it's a household in this verse. But sometimes the word household can mean a building. And in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll take a moment to turn there, he uses the term household in the sense of a spiritual building. And that we're living stones, and you're very familiar with the passage, I'm, sur- I'm sure. First Peter chapter 2, and I'm looking at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then it's a wonderful passage how it talks about the stone which the builders rejected became the cornerstone, the one stone. It's the standard. It sets the building in place. And sometimes this word is used with reference to the matter of a building. It's a spiritual building that he's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ and his church, and it becomes an important part of our lives because of the nature of of the spiritual building, the physical building. And sometimes the word household is used that way. Sometimes the word household is used like a family. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, that's the way that it's used there, and I might make reference to that and have you read it with me. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, and has really talked about the faithfulness here of our Lord. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. You see, he used the word household there, translated house in verse 5, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, Hebrews 3 and verse 6. Sometimes that word household means family. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are the house of God, the spiritual children of God. There in turn, he says, now Moses was faithful, but Christ was a son in the house. And he was faithful in all of God's building, faithful in all of God's house. And you might ask the question, okay, which is it? Is it a building that he's talking about, 1 Timothy chapter 3? Or is it a family that he's talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 3? Well, I'd say that we'd have to say here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 by looking at the context that Paul's talking about a family. Let's look and see how that may be true. Well, if you'll notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, you know when he was talking about the qualification of elders and the importance of that, he brings this point up as a qualification. He must manage his own household well, verse 5, verse 4. It's also in verse 5. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Household there has to mean family. He uses, as I mentioned in verse 5, or if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able or how can he care for God's church. This is 1 Timothy 3 and verse 5, and the word used again in the context. And the context is telling me he's talking about the qualification of a man to manage and lead his family, his household. 
Word comes up with regard to that of deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it comes up at about uh, verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Well, the word comes up again in chapter 3 and 12, and he's talking about a family there. So it's pretty clear in context, which is it? Is he talking about a spiritual building, or is he talking about a household here, a family? Well, the word household really is used as a family with regard to the context in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So when the Apostle Paul tells Timothy now, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. It's pretty clear he's talking about the family of God. And he's telling us just exactly what family life is like in the church of the living God. So let's look at that. And we will look at that. You know, there's something I would like to say about this. And that is, I've noticed that when, thank you, I've noticed that when visiting preachers come and use this, it always works. <laughs> I've noticed that. When visiting preachers come and use this, it works. I'd like to talk about the family. And with regard to the family, we're baptized into that family. If you'll notice in John chapter 3, that you talk about, uh, as Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he's talking about the new birth. And in John chapter 3, and verse uh, 3 through 5, you really get at the heart of the matter. And he tells us basically in this passage that there are two elements involved in being born into this family. That's how you get into it. You're going to be born into this family, and there is the element of the conception, and then there's also the element of the delivery. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 3 and verse 5. There is the element of conception. There is the element of delivery. The delivery takes place when I am born in the water. The conception takes place when I'm being taught by the Spirit. And through the conjoining effort of me being taught the Word of God and being baptized in water for the remission of my sins, I'm now born into a new family. Now, I don't know what it was like in your household or your family, but in my family, when the children were born, I did not go out and say, everyone who'd like to join our family, we're taking applications, you all come on in. If you'd like to be a part of this family, we're taking applications and you can join. Really, the way we worked it, and I suspect the way you worked it, was when a person was born, they were added to that family. They were added to my family. They were added to your family when they were born into that family. And Jesus is saying in this regard, that's how we enter into the kingdom of heaven, the family of God. They were actually born into this family. We're born into this family by means of the new birth. And when that takes place, I have a new relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. And in that new relationship, I now speak of God in a different sense. And I speak of Christ in a different way. And in doing so, now God truly is my Father. 
because I'm part of that family and Jesus my Savior. The family idea is brought up in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. It's brought up a number of times in the pages of our, our Bible, our New Testament. Verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially those who are of the family. I'm now baptized into this family. I'm added into this family. I now have brothers and sisters as a family of God. If you'll notice earlier, he said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a great passage. And it's teaching me that now I'm concerned not only about myself, but I'm concerned about others as well because there are others in the family. And I'm bearing one another's burdens now. I'm helping other family members with the problems and the difficulties of life because it's family. Here I'm to do good to all men, but especially those who are of the family, the household of God. Chapter 6 and verse 10. In a Christian way, I now experience this, what I guess I'll call a family dynamic. I'm part of the family. Brothers and sisters in Christ who become faithful, obedient children of Christ through the new birth. If you haven't experienced the new birth as the New Testament teaches, you're not part of the family. You're still outside. You don't join the family. You're added to it by means of spiritual birth. That's family life in the church. Let me use myself as an example. I use myself, my wife as an example. I don't always do this. But I'll do it in this instance because I think it'll be helpful and illustrative of the matter. We've been married about, oh, people ask me, how long have we been married? And I say, we've been married about 100 years. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful time that we've been married. Why, my wife loves me and I love her. And we never have an argument. Never raise our voice because she always agrees with me and I always agree with her. And if she wants that, that's exactly what I want. And if I want to do that, well, that's exactly what she wants. And the children, let me explain about the children. Sometimes I just have to tell my children, thank you for being perfect children. You're so perfect. And you always do everything with each other so well, and you never fuss, and, and you never have a problem with regard to the family. And the grandchildren are even better. Why, June and Ward Cleaver didn't have it as well as what we have it as a family. And if you don't know who June and Ward Cleaver are, I'll explain it to you when you get older. Now let's get real. Sometimes people fuss. 
Sometimes, because we're adult people, we don't agree with each other, and we don't see it eye to eye. This is family life. I'll try this again. There you go. In family life, it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. It doesn't always happen the way you want it to happen. Because you have individual people who are adults and have their own mind and their own personalities and their own temperaments, sometimes they disagree with each other and sometimes they fuss in the family. And sometimes corrections have to be made in the family because that's the way families are. Families are not neat, cookie-cutter, perfect, and clean. Sometimes families make mistakes. Sometimes members in the family make mistakes. The issue is how are we going to handle it? How are we going to correct these particular matters when we come together? The issue for the present in this rather extended illustration is simply, that's where the church is. The church is a family. And sometimes questions arise with regard to the church. In the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, chapter 4, verse 2. There he mentions two people with regard to the family. He mentions them by name, Yodia and Syntyche. I entreat Yodia, verse 2, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord, evidently, some kind of fuss going on. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Philippians chapter 2, 4, chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 3. Sometimes family members fuss. Isn't it interesting? Paul mentions their names in the book of Philippians. And now this fuss between the two of these women is mentioned in the book of Philippians and the letter goes to the church at Philippi and now the whole congregation knows about it. And the true companion, the true yoke fellow that's mentioned there, perhaps the preacher, is asked, help them straighten the fuss up and the fuss, help them straighten that out. And not only the church of Philippi, but all the churches of Galatia know about this problem. And now we're on the other side of the world, on the other side of time, and we know about this problem. And he's saying now, it's not a matter of having a problem. It's a matter of how we're going to handle the problem. Because this is a family. And family members handle the problem. We don't let this go on and go on. We settle this problem. We solve this problem. Because this is the household of God. This is the family of God. And we're in a special relationship with each other. And we're in a special relationship with God and with Christ. Because we were born into this family by means of the new birth. It's a household. You know what, a, what an apology is? An apology is when somebody goes up to another person and they say, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I hadn't. I apologize. Does anyone in here need to apologize to somebody? Maybe... 
somebody says, yeah, somebody needs to apologize to me because of the way they talked to me, because of what they said to me. Somebody needs to be apologizing to me. Maybe you're the one that needs to be apologizing. Think about it from that perspective. And you know what cures a lot of problems? What cures a lot of fusses in the family is a sincere, heartfelt apology. I apologize. I'm sorry. And family members relate to that. And family members, they focus on that. And we teach and we illustrate what life is like in the family of God. And some people just pick it up just like that. They'll study the scripture and they'll read that. And immediately they get it. And you can see the change in their life. And as you deal with them through time, you see more and more how they're more like the life of Christ and their body and their mind and the way they behave really reflects a Christian influence on them. And they just get it right off the bat. And then I have to tell you, I don't, there's some I don't know if they're ever going to get it. I don't know if they're ever going to get it. But because we're family, we keep teaching and we keep motivating and we keep stressing and we keep trying to tell and we keep trying to illustrate and we keep trying to give examples. This is what it's like in the household of God. And Paul said to Timothy, if I tarry, I want to give you instruction on how to behave in the household of God, in the family of God. And sometimes... It takes asking for forgiveness because we made a mistake. We're family. We ask God's forgiveness and we ask the other person's forgiveness. Somebody says, well, okay, I got it. We're in the family of God. Well, let's stick with this for another minute or two, if you please. One thing I think that's important to the family, what we went through today, and that's this communion service, and I just happened to pick this in mind, the singing, the praying, the family's doing this together, you see. When you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives you some specific instruction with regard to the family. And how it acts, verse 17 in this communion service. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. I'm in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. And you see, we got a problem here in the family. How are we going to handle it? If you'll notice back over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. He commended them in verse 2, but now in verse 17 he says, I can't commend you in this because there's a problem here that needs to be resolved. And here's the problem, verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. Here's the problem. you got some self-centered elitist types that want to gravitate only to themselves 
and to the small group that they like. There's division. The church is not functioning like a family ought to function here. It's the household of God. But what's happening here with regard to the church is some are gravitating to this group and some are gravitating to that group. And you have some intellectual elitists that want to gravitate only to themselves. And Paul says, I partly believe that that's what actually is happening here. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There are faithful there at Corinth. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And what they were doing, he's saying there's a time in which you can have a fellowship meal together. But it's not during the Lord's Supper. There's a time when you can have a fellowship meal together, but it's not during the worship of the New Testament church. There's a time when you can do this. But what you're doing is you're just going ahead of other people. You're not taking together the other members of the family. and You're divided by this, and division is taking place. For I received from the Lord what I also received to you, verse 23, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So by verse 23, starts giving me the design of the Lord's Supper and the purpose that is behind it. Now you got a problem there in the family. Let's get this problem straightened out with regard to the Lord's Supper. Here's the standard. How are we going to handle this? The standard is what the Lord conveyed. And he revealed this to me. Initially, Matthew 26, 26 through 28, tells us when this institution was given to us. This is my body. Why the bread couldn't literally be the body of Jesus. When Jesus said that, he was still in his body. And so obviously it is a metaphor which said, this represents my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He wasn't there with them, literally. They were doing it to remember him. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Do you see that metaphor coming out again in the passage? This cup is not literally a new covenant, but this cup represents that new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Have a focused purpose in mind. The quality of the doing of it has reference to the matter as often as. It doesn't mean you can do it whenever you feel like doing it. It simply means when you do this, you do it with purposefulness and mindfulness. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you ought to underline the word proclaim there, found in verse 26. You see, I'm looking at a problem in the family, and I'm seeing how he settled that problem. And I'm learning how we would settle problems in the family by going to the divine instruction of the Word of God. Proclaim is underlined in my Bible because it is saying, when I take that bread and I take that cup, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ, I am saying to other people, other members of the family and of the world, I'm putting my hope and trust in Jesus. He's the one that's going to save me. 
He can do it and no one else and nothing else. And I'm proclaiming that. And not, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that particular matter. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now that ought to be underlined. Have focus of heart and mind. Do not take this frivolously. Do not take this haphazardly. Do not observe this sacred feast in an indifferent, lackadaisical type of way. Let a person examine himself, verse 28 then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'm focusing my heart and my mind in that examination of myself. In verse 23, 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, I'm not clear on that body right there. It could be that he's talking about the body of Christ, keeping it in its context. It could be he's talking about the church as the body. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, considering the other as well during this, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That verse actually came up during our forum, verse 30. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. How do you handle a family problem? You go to the Bible, you go to the Word of God. And however the Word of God describes it, that's how we handle it. Because we're family. Now that new birth process has joined us together. We're here together because we have been involved in the new birth. We heard the word of God and we repented of our sins. And we were baptized in water for the remission of our sins. And we have accepted the amazing grace of God because of the amazing new birth that we responded to and we became part of the household of God. Born into the family and experiencing this family life. Paul says to Timothy, now if I tarry long, if I'm not able to get there, I want to instruct you on how you ought to behave in the household of God. Now this evening, I'll try it again. It worked. This evening, we want to talk about the church of the living God and what that phrase means. And we want to study the pillar and the ground of the truth. This translation uses the word buttress. And I'll try to explain that as we have the time and as we have the opportunity. If you've never obeyed the gospel, now's the time. Become a part of the family. So that when you take that Lord's Supper, you're proclaiming to everyone else, I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ who's going to save me through His amazing grace and my obedient faith. And if you've not done that, 
My prayer for you now is that you accept the amazing grace of God by being born again. And if it is the case somebody needs to apologize, start apologizing first to God. And say, I repent of my sins. I repent of the wrongdoing. I, I'm going to give up the love of and the practice of sin. And I'm going to be obedient to you right now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.